What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Divi Crypto Podcast. And on this episode, I sit down with Fran Strainar, the CEO of Brave New Coin. And if you guys have not heard about them in the past, they've been around for quite some time and they have developed some pretty incredible products. They're going for a lot of partnerships right now that are really exciting, including one that is pretty groundbreaking in terms of a layer two solution for leverage trading. So I don't want to give too much away. That's towards the end of the episode. So definitely stick around through all the way to the end where you can hear this exciting new partnership that Fran is going to talk about and talk about all these initiatives that they're working on at Brave New Coin. So without further ado, let's dive right into my interview with the CEO of Brave New Coin, Fran. What is up, guys? I'm here with the CEO of Brave New Coin, Fran Strainar. How's it going, Fran? Very good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you on. So before we dive into Brave New Coin and some of the other ventures involved, Tell us your story. Like, what brought you into the space, and what's your background? Um, yeah, I've been in Bitcoin since I guess 2010. I was doing a master's uh, of entrepreneurship, which is just a far more sexy version of an MBA, I suppose. And one of the case studies in there was uh, the VIX index, the uh, volatility index, and um, I just thought, what a beautiful business model where you can have one set of Capex and OPEX, and you can peel off various different revenue streams, providing that you can uh, build an index that's adopted, right? And for those that don't know, the um, the VIX has you know, got literally trillions of notional um, benchmarked against it, marked the market against it from a whole array of different types of financial instruments. So in 2013, we just asked ourselves, well, um, can we can we build a good index for Bitcoin? Um, the trajectory of this new asset class, and that was our first assumption. This is a fourth superclass of assets. Um, was inevitable that it would go through the same cycle of all other asset classes. So we wanted to build the financial data infrastructure, which includes all the um, middleware and data scrubbing, analytics, etc., to produce compliance, stable, safe benchmarks and indices to power um, what what we felt was inevitable, which is this swap of derivatives. And of course, we're seeing that today. And so we started off by um, harvesting uh, data from you know, Trade Hill and Mount Gox and the days of MintPel. And you know, there's so many exchanges that simply don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and we output uh, essentially two key products is our spot engine, which tracks thousands of pairs and hundreds of coins, and our bespoke uh, custom indices engine, where we can build uh, single asset, multi asset. You know, high frequency in the day, whatever is required uh, for various different exchange traded products and uh, derivatives and so on and so forth. Got it. Got it. And did you guys start primarily with the just diving right into the data or were you guys focusing on content production? Because I know you guys had a ton of content coming out because I I remember when you guys first rolled out um, and I remember reading quite a bit and was it was it in tandem together or was it one before the other? Yeah, so essentially we thought, well, do we want to spend 10 years building out a distribution base um, or can we partner with legacy market data distributors mm-hmm. um, 
and we thought, well, actually a B2B2C model makes a lot more sense, right? Definitely don't want to be competing with the power and, and distribution of um, Bloomberg, for example, right? Mm -hmm. And so we thought, well, we all come from publishing. Right? I used to run Computer Worlds, PC Worlds, reselling you, CIO Magazine, at a publishing company. And that's where I met my co-founders, actually. They were acting CIO and IT manager. Um, and we thought, well, let's create good content, quality over, con uh, quality over quantity, and let's focus on um, you know, that educational barrier. I mean, imagine in 2014, 15, so on and so forth, there was a lot of um, um, education to be done. You know, there was a whole Bitcoin bad blockchain good narrative, which is kind of comical to think about now. Mm -hmm. um, so we thought, let's get our brands out there by way of producing some content, establishing reputable brands so that by the time we have the conversations with those distribution partners, uh, we've already seeded the market with you know, wholesome contents uh, and helping bridge that uh, educational gap. And so fast forward a few years later, and that strategies worked out really well. Our data is now distributed by, you know, Teleprebon ICAP, which is the world's largest inter-dealer broker. The global index distribution system at GIDS uh, carries our indices. I mean, there's a whole sway of um, value-added resellers, connectivity providers, um, data distributors um, and API marketplaces that carry all of our uh, data streams. You can even ask um, Amazon Alexa the price of any coin and, and that comes from us. And so we've oh. quietly gone out to the B2B2C model. Nice. Yeah, I've, I really like the, um, the enterprise side of things that you guys have focused on where you can literally plug in to all of these like larger companies that can dive right into all of the information. And I think that that's a really clever way of going about adoption. And uh, I saw you had some, some pretty hardcore sales consultants on there that are <laughs> obviously out there in the trenches, getting this into the hands of some of the big enterprises. So that's a really clever and exciting way of getting uh, data. We, we made sure to hire from the industry that we were going after. Mm -hmm. um, the market data industry is about a 23 billion a year industry. I think it's still growing at about 10% per annum. And it's a very, very small industry. You'll often find people that sort of go between, say, London Stock Exchange, CME, um, you know, MSCI, uh, ICE, um, and they'll cross paths and meet each other. And you know, throughout their careers, it's, uh, um, it ends up being a very, very small industry. So um, we got some specific people like Rory Manchi, S&P, and Rafa Hanna was the um, vice president of indices at NASDAQ in London. Um, you know, otherwise, it just takes um, donkey's ears to essentially um, get the Rolodex to reach out to the people that we need to reach out to. Um, because phase two of our grand plan essentially is just um, not just supplying data for you know reference, um, but to actually build a pipeline of products for or with our partners, which is what we started to move into about six months ago. Mm, got it. Got it. And for everybody listening, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see DeFi is right over, right over <laughs> Grant's shoulder in the background. And we will get to it. I promise <laughs> we will get to it. 
but before we that's just my ideas board (laughs) (laughs) just idea boarding out all of the the things around DeFi. so before we jumped on the call we talked about how there's kind of a a a progression of businesses like uh, techami capital is kind of the umbrella that you guys have developed and brave new coin is the first company that you guys kind of started working together on so can you talk a little bit about Techemy and what, what that is? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess in 2013, um, we, we built out a thesis for where this whole thing is going on a sort of mid to long term cycle. It's very difficult to give explicit granular, you know, forecast for exactly how society or behavior is going to change and what sort of products can be required. But you can make some big broad brush assumptions. Mm-hmm. And um, again, we, we treated this as a fourth superclass of assets, and we realized that uh, the world's going to need a bridge between this asset class and the legacy world. So to us, that meant a heavy focus on infrastructure. Our definition of infrastructure uh, encompasses data um, and uh, tooling that allows for the frictionless uh, participation of this asset class by the legacy world. So Techemy was established, um, BNC wasn't spun out until early 2018 um, into its own limited liability business. And so it was Techemy Limited trading as BNC for the first few years as we built our core infrastructure. And I was quite lucky to be surrounded by um, some very bright people uh, that were also entrepreneurial um, around me. And they wanted to create different pieces of infrastructure and I could see the synergy really clearly. One of those was um, uh, Paul Salisbury from Blockchain Labs, so that uh, bespoke uh, blockchain architecture consulting, smart contract auditing firm, mm-hmm. and they've done a whole uh, heap of different uh, high-profile audits from Kyber Network to government RFP tenders and all sorts. Uh, another one was Stephen McCaskill that wanted to uh, create a digital asset exchange here in New Zealand, so we actually started Digital Asset Exchange Limited, or DASIT. Dacidex.com, and that's a partnership with Bitrix. Um, and uh, just to avoid conflict of interest, I put all my co-founding shares in the Techemy, and Techemy slowly became a um, venture builder. And we would, uh, well, we still deploy a shared services model. For example, none of these companies, apart from one, requires a full-time, uh, say, very expensive XPWC quality compliance officer. And so, um, we thought, well, let's hire those types of resources at the Techemy level and then Techemy Capital and all the other subsidiaries or sister companies can essentially have access to top quality talent and resources for a fraction of the cost uh, because, you know, economies of scale and all the rest. Um, so 2017, that was a crazy year, made a pile of money. Uh, that led us to not require external funding for some time for all the businesses. And uh, we sort of scaled up from, um, you know, eight people uh, to, uh, I think we got to as high as 100 at one point. Um, that was because we wanted to build that. There was a lot of engineers to build out some of our infrastructure. And once that was complete, we settled back down. Uh, I'm counting contractors here. So we settled down at about 40 or thereabouts. And that's all we need for the time being. So, yeah, it's... Um, it, it kind of operates like a private equity firm or shared services model venture builder. 
And um, it's nice and lean and efficient. We can move quickly. And um, each company has got its own roadmap and trajectory, but there's a hell of a lot of synergy, right? So well, just a super quick example. Um, when BNC produces, say, uh, an index or a methodology, uh, Techme Capital can turn that into a decentralized version using DeFi, right? So we don't have to power, say, a DeFi basket with a partner like BTSC. We can actually load that up, same methodology, uh, and create essentially a decentralized ETF um, using one of our partners like Tokenset, uh, tokensets.com to replicate that um, in a totally non-custodial decentralized way. So we have a motto to kind of build once, commercialize many, and uh, the data flows freely between the different companies. Um, we get to act and move faster that way. Got it. Got it. So that kind of leads us to the path that everyone has uh, been kind of seeing on crypto Twitter and with all of these kind of remarkable uh, remarkable changes that have happened over the past couple of weeks here in the DeFi space. Right before we jumped on, you sent over this infographic that is the road to 5 trillion locked in DeFi. And that's like a super bullish way of, of looking at DeFi. So I'd love to know, you know, what, what your perspective is there. Like, what are your, where are we now? And then at 5 trillion, you know, what does that look like? Sure. We've been talking about this like in 2013, 2014, where people like Patrick Dugan and, and others that were involved in um, the very first token on Bitcoin, Omni. You remember Omnidex and uh, Omnicoin, Tellers still does Tether to an extent. Um, everything since moved to Ethereum. These things are quite cyclic and people have been dreaming about decentralized swaps and derivatives and options for, you know, since the dawn of crypto essentially. And um, it's the infrastructure, right? It's the tooling that's only recently become good enough for uh, radical experimentation. That's why we see all this, you know, food emoji <laughs> madness, yams and sushi and, and God knows what's next, right? Yeah. And um, uh, in 2017, 16 to 18, essentially, we saw the big ICO bubble. And basically, you know, give me lots of money and maybe we'll build something. Um, and it was just the, the incentive model was skewed. It was full of scams and, and big problems. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing now is that people are building actual utility before they produce any form of uh, token for either funding or governance. And um, I've, I've been saying that uh, you know for, for a long time that we're going to see a bit of a renaissance in financial engineering, the greatest experimentation in monetary policy the world has ever seen, just because the barrier to entry has been so you know completely eradicated. It's super cheap and super quick to come up with new models um, around liquidity, about around trading, uh, new financial instruments that haven't been imagined before are now possible and being created. I'm not supporting some of these activities, just to be clear, right? Some of them are just rampant fraud. Um, but what I do like and encourage is the rampant uh, experimentation. Right, the um, the chaos and the order that will come out of that chaos, you're going to end up with ten or so major ecosystems out of this DeFi thing, 
So you might have a DAO for insurance, a DAO for swaps, a DAO for this, a DAO for that. And as long as the code is checked and safe and the products are presented in a, in a way that is, you know, as compliant and as safe as can be, um, then I'm okay with that. So it, to me, it represents tooling to create that next layer because after the protocol level, you've got the infrastructure level and then you've got the application level. And so in 2016, 17, it's been utterly unimaginable of what that application layer would be. What are the, what are the trillion dollar uh, decacorns or whatever you want to call them, um, millicorns. Um, you know, the, the, the world's first trillionaire will be a decentralized autonomous organization. Mm. Um, and, you know, if we look at the progression, we've kind of started with the advent of ERC-20s, where all of a sudden it's super cheap to create a token on Ethereum, and then you can program it. And once money is programmable, you can do all kinds of interesting things with it. And forget just money, value, right? And then you ended up with uh, decentralized uh, exchanges, DEXs. So all of a sudden there was a new utility and functionality you could do with this magical internet tokeny stuff, right? You could trade it between yourselves, very basic. And then of course, naturally from there came lending and borrowing, right? That's more of an application on that. Um, and now very recently, um, we've got the automated market makers, the AMMs, right? That's been taking off in the DeFi space. And when you think about it, it's actually taken a um, inflation bad to inflation good mindset. It's shifted that because um, in the past, the more tokens that enter the supply, the worse it got. But now under these conditions, um, new projects are essentially giving away tokens under a curve to encourage people by way of rewarding them for participation in market making and all the rest. So they found a viable for now model to um, allow for an inflation-based um, tokenomics solution. Then what comes next, and it's slowly sort of hinting, is real-world assets, right? And we can park STOs and, and security tokens to one side because they're still quite geographic and restricted in its utility and its application, right? It kind of has to go um, geography by geography and comply with the different rule sets. Um, but uh, real-world assets are starting to creep into the space. And so, for example, um, a friend of mine, Daniel Masters at CoinShares, he created the DGLD, the gold-backed token. And I'm really excited about that because it's, um, it gives me synthetic access to gold that I can use that token and bundle it or create some kind of token set product or balancer pool or whatever I want with, with, um, with that asset. So I want to see S&P 500, I want to see oil, diamonds, you know, um, all kinds of real-world assets and commodities uh, made available within uh, this digital ecosystem. And that's happening quite rapidly. So there's more and more fiat currencies, more and more real-world assets. Personally, I'll be creating a, a digital uh, special drawing right, you know, the IMF's SDR. I want to have a nice chunky weighting of Bitcoin in there. Uh, combined with the other um, synthetic uh, fiat currencies um, and then create essentially a macro hedge. But um, I'm derailing here. So what comes next is um, derivatives, right? Permissionless, unstoppable derivatives, which is why we're very excited about a partnership with Leverage.io, who created the only scalable purpose-built for high-frequency trading layer two solution called Gluon. Not many people know of its existence, and it's just about to go into mainnet after three years of development. So 
all of this other noise out there about layer two solutions is you know two years behind technologically. So we're really excited about that, and we're really excited um, you know about the cross chain functionality. So when layer two comes in, all the stable coins, the increase in real world assets, the increase in utility, and the number of things you can do within this digital ecosystem that is DeFi, um, it's like a giant vortex. Right, it's a it's a black hole that's sucking in liquidity from everywhere, and um, I'm agnostic, right? So just just to be clear, um, I'm not a maxi for Bitcoin, for whatever. Um, I believe the technology will kind of um, push all the boundaries and end up being super seamless on you know almost any blockchain you want. So if you want to participate and do a particular function, you could choose very soon whether it's on Bitcoin, whether it's on Ethereum, so on and so forth. All of that middleware is slowly coming out of the lab and into the wild. And, um, you know, once there's a minimal viable kind of um, infrastructure plateau, then we're going to jump in terms of the amount of assets within the ecosystem, right? because again, the barriers drop. So what we're seeing is an S curve. You know, a few million takes a long time, a few billion, pop. And then things get crazy. Got it. So how long do you think, just ballpark, because obviously it's coming out of the, the labs, you could call it now, uh, the technology. I like the idea of radical experimentation. And obviously you're going to have the issues with that, with scams and everything, very similarly to 2017, where you have people that are just bad actors to start with and they come in and, and kind of do some harm and take advantage. But then there are good actors that are actually pushing the boundaries and, and moving the needle forward. And what comes out of that radical experimentation is actual innovation. So what do you, what do you think ballpark is for, let's say, my mom to be able to use something that is DeFi, 10 years, five years, 15 years, because I think that is something that is not talked about, really. We're, we're all talking about very deep, integrated, back-end type technologies that are going to be used. And I think that um, it's really... Yeah, You've you got, you got crypto natives, and yeah. then you got the 99% of everybody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, like I, I got this... Um, I'm on my laptop and it says here, Intel Core i7, 8th gen inside. It's probably getting a new one. Um, that's, that's what it's going to be like. Grandma won't need to know that yeah. is blockchain inside, right? It'll just be super fast payments between one bank to another. And we're already seeing that with all the interbank solutions that are coming out and being adopted um, and you know, integrated by different, I guess you could call them consortia of different banks. You'll have all kinds of DLT, Frankenstein, quasi-blockchain kind of stuff that's not really a blockchain um, that's uh, that's being deployed as well. So I guess if we break it down into a function, if, if your example is when will, um, when will your mom be able to do something with DeFi? And I would say that that is um, when will she be able to have an interest rate account where she's the self-custodian of and enjoying doing nothing, some kind of interest rate that outperforms legacy bank account interest rates. And I'd say nine months that that, wow. that would become available, maybe less. 
I mean, as an example, through Techme Capital, we created what we like to describe as a structured DeFi product. And, you know, the old, it's a play on words on the structured income product. Essentially, what we do is we bundle up a set of yield-bearing stable coins, dying USDC for our um, proof of concept version one. Mm-hmm. And they spit out about 4.8% interest per year, which is already a hell of a lot better than, um, you know, banks offering 0.6% on a $100 million deposit in some countries or negative interest rates in others, right? The negative interest rates are, are coming, right, globally, um, you know, already here in some cases. So um, what we then do is these stable coins break. Um, you know, they, they're not a dollar all the time. They'll, they'll go to 94 cents, dollars six or whatever it is. And so we just simply rebalance those um, when they snap. And we can extract up to 17% interest rates per year. So we created a product that is 100% self-custodial, um, 100, uh, 100% liquid, instantly redeemable, Right, a click of one button, 24/7, 365, you know, all the rest, um, and it's essentially a proxy for cash. So we're already finding uh, several funds. Um, many funds have a mandate to hold cash equivalents to the tune of 10 or 20 percent, so they can deal with redemptions. Right. Um, so when people call up and they want their capital back, um, they they have cash equivalent that they could liquidate immediately and pay it out. So instead of having that cash equivalent in you know, earning 0.6%, they could be enjoying 17% and have the same risk profile essentially as a stable coin. And so that already exists today. We found ways to improve that in October through our tech partnerships. And um, we're talking to a number of institutional outfits about integrating this into their customers' savings accounts. Right. So imagine that um, one of the big Japanese banks offers, you know, a variable or a set rate, and they take the risk on. And part of their treasury policy, they rehypothecate users' funds into, or a small part of, into a structured DeFi product that earns those. And then the net result is grandma essentially receives an interest rate that's better than what she used to get at the bank. Mm-hmm. You know, no, no need to understand any of this uh, technology or, or buzzwords. Yeah. Yeah, I love that because the the idea that exactly right that it, it's a, a a little sticker on your laptop that's the dream scenario is where everything, blockchain inside yeah blockchain inside yeah that's right it's just it's just operating in the background doing what it's what it's good at and it's not a um, it's not just a you know you don't need to learn to code to use it or anything like that and I think we're, we're definitely on our way there nine months is is impressive i think that's a that's an ambitious ambitious i said the other the other day i said could, could everyone just please stop innovating right this, <laughs> it's so hard to keep up I, I have a lot of people asking me well uh DeFi is hard you know it's like no all you have to do is read 18 hours every single day for six months <laughs> and it's totally understandable right it's just the, the pace is outstanding it's it's mind-blowing yeah and, um so you try to sort of sift through the noise and just focus on the macro trends and, and uh, commercial, you know, product focus. Cool, cool. Well, where I guess before we say where people can find out more, what's coming in 2021? You mentioned a partnership with I think it was Leverage IO. What else can people get excited about that you guys are doing? So there's four things we're focusing on. The four pillars of Techamine. 
I haven't really talked about this externally at all. I've been championing this internally to just sink and galvanize everyone, but I'll, I'll lay it out here. One, all things B and C. We're delivering something along the lines of 15 different indices by Christmas to power different financial instruments. So we have a multi-year deal of the Toronto Futures and Options and Swaps Exchange, TFOS.net, and we will be providing them with a whole range of single asset and multi-asset indices. And they're a form of compliance and you know, traditional um, mercantile exchange, um, the second one in Canada. Um, they should be live by February, March or thereabouts. And of course, they'll offer non-crypto things. So um, just so you know, Canada is a fantastic jurisdiction for international trade. It's not just servicing Canadians, right? Um, we're in talks with some of the largest CFD providers on the planet. Um, that's one I can't really talk about too much at all, but the CFD providers are looking at Bitcoin or crypto exposure and creating products out of DeFi and, and you know, stablecoin bearing, interest, interest bearing assets and stuff like that, mm -hmm. as well as obviously all the CFDs. We have a multi-year partnership with uh, BTSC, um, which is a crypto native exchange that's got a heavy focus on in institutional quality and, and traders. And so we provide multi-asset and single-asset um, uh, solutions there. I think um, what's been announced is the DeFi index will be live there shortly. It's getting a lot of excitement. And then we'll have a whole range of other um, vertical products there. And then uh, Leverage.io is essentially the decentralized version of you know, uh, Bitmex, FTX, Deribit, et cetera. Um, it's got the same feel of a centralized exchange. You know, you don't have to wait block to block to match orders, which is the clunky way that, you know, on-chain DEXs work today. Um, but it's, uh, you know, purpose-built for, for high-capacity matching and liquidation engines. And so we just announced that we'll be powering their product pipeline and supplying them with the infrastructure and indices to power their perpetuals, quarterlies, multi-asset derivatives, whatever, right? And so we're really excited about that. Um, and that's, um, I guess, all things BNC benchmarks, all things leverage, go-to-market strategy and product pipeline. And that fits quite nicely with uh, BNC's infrastructure. Uh, all things Techme Capital DeFi roadmap, where we'll be um, busy constructing various decentralized funds and decentralized products. And some of those POCs are live already. I think our POC D DeFi fund is up 680% since January, which is just ridiculous. So we're looking at how to create that into something where we can actually take external capital in in a seamless way, exploring uh, Melon, which is a great asset management platform, um, as well as obviously continuing with token set. And then the fourth item is very stealth mode, but um, you know we live in New Zealand and New Zealand doesn't have a stable coin. So you can sort of um, read between the lines there. Nice, nice. Well, great. Thanks so much for the just high level and kind of mind melting overview of DeFi. I'm excited uh, to really do my 18 hours of reading towards DeFi <laughs> every day, every day, every day, because it is definitely a, a very kind of 2017 feel, uh, which is cool. I love the idea yeah. of the experimenting and things like that. But once again, thanks so much for coming on, Fran. No, it's been a pleasure. I got to talk till the cows come home. <laughs> Thank you.